and welcome to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put first-time game masters through their paces as we build and run their very first one-shot. And then we circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can make their games even better. At least, that's what we normally do. Each season of this show has focused on preparing a game master to run a session of a tabletop role-playing game. But there is a question this show has never really considered before. What if there is no Game Master? What if all the players have equal control over the world? And how would that even work? There is a whole world of GMless games out there, and I think it's time we explore them. As always, this is a three-part series. In episode one, I'll be joined by all of the players for this season, and we will learn the ins and outs of running a game without a guide. Then we leap from the frying pan and into the fire in our first GMless game and attempt to navigate this new world without the familiar safety net of a game master. Finally, in episode three, we will look back on that first game and discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can improve. Neither I nor my players have ever tried a GMless system, so this season I reached out to a true innovator in the tabletop role-playing world and the creator of one of the most popular GMless games that I have wanted to try for some time now. Let me let me list a few credits to see if you can guess what I'm talking about. We got Sleep Away. We've got the upcoming Yuzeva's Bed and Breakfast. And the game we're all going to be playing this season, Wander Home. That's right. Joining us this season as we venture through the Haith is the innovative and awesome Jay Dragon. Aw, oh, gee, that's me. <laughs> Jay, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. This is going to be, uh, I think... Oftentimes I get to discuss stuff from a designer point of view, so it's going to be really fun to be like, here's players, tips and tricks and how to play and think about it as a, it's going to be great. I'm excited. I'm really super excited to have you. I was very excited when you said yes to coming on this show. I've been wanting to play this game for a while, and the idea of a GMless system has always intrigued me. But honestly, like, I'm very nervous to try it. So I'm glad I have some good friends with me and really like one of the best teachers possible to, to kind of guide me through this process. Hell yes. So before we get into Wander Home and the specifics, I think it's time to introduce the cast that is currently with us, because as I said before, there's not a game master for this season. Normally, we'd have one game master on. Instead, we're going to be having five myself and my four compatriots. First up, we have a new voice to this podcast, actor, comedian and writer Michelle Chan Bennett. How you doing? Very excited to be here. I haven't played a tabletop RVG in a while, and I've been dying to, so happy to be back. Yeah, we love it. Next up, we have a familiar voice. He is a game designer of familiar titles like Abominations and our subject from last season, Something is Wrong with the Chickens. We have with us Elliot Davis. Hey, Brian. Great to be back. Super, super excited to play Wander Home. Owned the book for a while and just been uh, eager to dig into it, so really 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 excited to be here and um thanks for having me as always very excited to have you and there are two more voices anyone who's familiar with this podcast or the 20 sided podcast will be extremely familiar with she is the voice of natasha bolshoikat captain of the gilded ghost or wendy the chicken of prophecy abby hepworth hello uh, how you doing oh my god i haven't seen you in forever Brian. i know you're right next to me <laughs> And last but not least, another very familiar voice. He has played Yakshara, Ranger General of the Twilight Assembly, and Papillon, the mean, chain-smoking French duck, Chinook Tessera. How's it going? Hey, can't get rid of me, asshole. I'm always here. <laughs> I'll never get rid of you, and I'll never want to. <laughs> 
Great. So now we have the names, we have the faces for all those on the Zoom. Podcasters, you, anyone listening, you're never going to have the faces. You'll never know what we never look like. Never know what I look like. In your head, I'll always be a, a cartoon animal or something. Some horrible little <laughs> goblin. <laughs> I wonder what people picture me as. I wonder what animal people picture me as. I probably don't want to know. It's probably bad. But who knows? <laughs> We're going to create our own animals in this game. So let's kind of jump into Wanderhome. Jay, for anyone who might not be aware of this great game, I don't know what rock they're living under, but can you please enlighten them a little bit about this game, what it is, and kind of where it came from mechanically, thematically, inspirations? So Wanderhome is a pastoral fantasy tabletop game about um, traveling animal folk um, trying to kind of like find selfhood and community within the world of the Haith. It comes out of both kind of, you know, my own lived experiences as like someone who was homeless and like kind of exploring a lot of like charity and kindness and imagining a world that is a better place or like has the capacity to be a better place. It was written basically entirely like in the first couple of months of quarantine. And I think people really like it because I kind of wrote it when like all this horrible stuff was happening. I was just kind of like, what is like, what is a world where healing is possible, right? What is a world where we can actually start to work through and process and kind of undo the harm that we've experienced? And that is kind of what what led to Wander Home. It's a game about it's a game that has has gotten a lot of attention for the things it doesn't have. It doesn't have game masters, it doesn't have dice, it doesn't have combat. It is also a game that is about these, you know, these anthropomorphic animals in this kind of fantasy world where you've got, you know, like mail delivery and writing poetry and, you know, like taking care of kids are kind of like on par or more important than dungeon delving or, you know, looting or whatever. Uh, and that's Wanderhome. I remember I, I was reading through the book and it's, you know, it's very visually kind of uh pastoral redwall miyazaki it's it's very light and happy and airy but there is like there is like a lot of deep emotion in it and one of my favorite parts when i was reading through it early on is i feel like in dungeons and dragons and a lot of other games it's very much about let's set a goal let's save the world let's you know do the thing there's a portion of this book that kind of says like hey you're going to come into a community you may not be able to solve their problems you're not necessarily from that community you might just be kind of passing through and that was the first time i'd seen that in like written into a game, like it wasn't necessarily goal oriented in like coming to a place, save the layers or save the land, slay the dragon. It was exist in this world, like maybe a slightly more mundane goal, but still a lot of life within that goal. Yeah, well, because I think about it a lot in terms of like, like, it's very weird to me how we frame our like how we how we are so captivated by stories in which both, you know, kind of like success and failure are meaningful frameworks and also where uh, like we're so captivated by violence, despite us living in a world in which like the violence that exists in our world is systematic and brief and traumatic, as opposed to kind of like the violence that exists in the world of fantasy, which is like omnipresent and has no emotional <laughs> impact. Um, right. And I'm really interested in like, well, if I want to write a game in which we treat violence as, like, you know, in this, like, explore what violence is, what would it mean? Like, you know, that would lead me ultimately to a game about, you know, like the act of living, which is predominantly, you know, like failure as a concept isn't really relevant in our daily life. If you are supposed to get groceries today and you decide to take a nap instead, 
you could say you failed to get groceries, right? You rolled a D20 and you got a nat one and you failed to get groceries. You could also say that you prioritized your health and took a nap, right? Like there's this entire way we think about like the actions we do where we frame kind of like making good choices that don't involve like action as being failure. Whereas mm. it's like, you know, like I think Wander Home is interested in other modes of being than how most tabletop games are interested. I think, you know, the violence that's in a lot of games is kind of a, a want to kind of experiment in that world in a way that you don't want to in your real life. And Wander Home, what I'm excited about playing in it is, is you get to do that kind of in the reverse of like, you get to really go in on, I don't know, li- like living to the fullest, like some of the nicer moments of life and just kind of like living fully in that world rather than living in the like the height of drama all the time in something like a Dungeon Dragons or the, you know, mundanity of normal life. Yeah, like like in Dungeons and Dragons, there's no space for a peddler or a poet, right? Like if you have someone in your in your D&D campaign who wants to be a poet and poets don't fight, right? Poets are much, you know, poets, if they're anything like me, they're pretty out of shape. They just kind of want to, you know, sit around and write and like appreciate the beauty of the world. Dungeons and Dragons looks at that and says, this character has no place here, right? This character is going to be uh, irrelevant and useless for the majority of the game, which is to say initiative. And like, they will be on par with any other character in any other context. And Wanderhum says, no, that's potentially one of the most important people you can play is someone who is dedicated to writing about and engaging with and meeting with people within the world, right? Like a, a poet or a, a, a mailman or a, you know, like a traveling teacher is kind of fulfilling a very vital social role that, can have a lot of beauty and depth to it, right? There is an incredible amount of joy and fun in delivering mail, right? It's just, you right. know, like not in a capitalist context, but just in like a living life context. And I know that uh, the Moss Tender was, the second I saw that, I was like, oh, this is something that everyone's going to want to play. Everyone wants to be the mailman. It's my business partner's favorite playbook by far. Oh, it's, it's great. I, I, I do want to uh, touch on real quick, just the um, inspirations for the mechanics, the, the tokens mechanics. Where did that uh, kind of come from? So Wanderhome is built on the belonging outside belonging system, which is a system developed by Avery Alder and Benjamin Rosenbaum for their games Dream Askew and Dream Apart, uh, which came out in 2018. It's a pretty popular system in the indie sphere. You see a lot of great games like, oh goodness, um, like certainly a lot of the other stuff I do, but also, you know, shout outs like Galactic 2E or Grand Guignol or Feathers, um, which are all, uh, I think, prominent uh, B.O.B. games using that framework. It's popular because it's very flexible and it gets it kind of the very like kind of sitting around the table, building something up together m- mindset, while also, I think, putting aside a lot of mechanical complexity. The core mechanics of the game in the case of Wanderhome is it's this almost like a rhythm of tokens where certain sets of actions enable you to take a token and hold on to it. And then you can spend that token later to kind of go above and beyond in particular other areas. So, for example, you might get a token when you stop and rest or when you take on a burden that's like too much for you or like, you know, you 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 give someone a gift without expecting anything in return. And then you spend those tokens to have kind of an important impact on someone's life or to give them something that might kind of alter their destiny or, you know, their their track in life. Or to learn something, you know, kind of like get at some secret of theirs, right? So it's kind of this this rhythm of these tokens, uh, you know, taking these tokens when you 
make sacrifices for your character when your character kind of, you know, like, you know, kind of has moments of weakness and then spending those tokens in order to kind of get, you know, kind of make more full and deeper statements about your character and their world. And I think the, the, the tokens mechanic, which is kind of the only, you know, mechanical rule in the game is the thing that I like personally, I'm the most like curious, excited, but also like nervous about, especially playing without a, a game master, because something like Dungeons and Dragons is such a, you know, fully built out mechanism. Like it's a clockwork mechanism. You push these buttons and this effect happens. I know Elliot, Schnook, Abby and I have all played like one page games, you know, Honey Heist, uh, Elliot, something, something is wrong with the chickens. Which, by having lighter mechanics, demand more from the players, but still have a let me roll this, here's the outcome type of mechanic. And there's still a, you know, a game master that is uh, processing those. The principle behind the tokens, conceptually, I like to think of them as a rhythm, which is to say that the game comes out of the choices you make from your characters, from the place you build, from the people you meet in that area, from the season you're experiencing, all of those things layer upon these like levels of choices and then the tokens provide this rhythm that kind of reminds you in a sense like in much in the same way that you can play a session of dungeons and dragons without rolling any dice and have a swell old time in wander home the tokens are not a they're not the critical mode through which the story is told the story is told together as a group above kind of the game but the tokens are a reminder and i think a grounding force where it's like where you can go with your character when you're not sure and then as you amass tokens you can think about what does my character deserve right like you know if you're getting tokens for working too hard those tokens get then spent in you know in ways to pay off that kind of burden right so like there's kind of i think of them oftentimes as a sense of just kind of like a reminder like hey you know i've been having my character do all this stuff let me utilize that in this other way um, and so the tokens, I think, are much more I, I, I oftentimes talk about them as more percussive than the core mechanism, because their purpose is to kind of help ground yourself emotionally more than it is like this is the only thing you're doing all game. Right. Wander Home is not a, a token min maxing game. If you right. min max it for tokens, you'll be fine. You'll have a swell time. But, you know, like you can play it that way and enjoy it. You're not going to it's not going to be unfun. But. It's designed with the idea that if you don't touch the tokens at all, if you forget they exist, the game, you'll still find enrichment and meaning from it. And that's really the only, yeah, as you say, like the only traditional mechanic in the game, basically. It's a very, it's a, it's, I think, rightfully rules light. Yeah, it's amazing how much of my life I want less rules. And the second someone gives it to me, I'm terrified. <laughs> Wonder how, okay, so I'm, I don't want to delve into the weeds of my game theory. And if you're interested in this, I wrote an article on it called Systems of Relation, but a big part of kind of my theoretical idea is that games exist in much more beyond the immediate rules sense. And part of what Wander Home does is create this system of relationships between characters and the world they inhabit. And that system of relationships of like the things that matter to you and like expressing that and exploring that is much more important than like the system of mechanics that, that that's. Mm. That's, you know, that's all heady stuff. You can, I wrote, I write blog posts about it, but that's kind of what I'm thinking about is like, the important thing is having fun with your friends and having these characters have meaningful moments with each other. And if the rules and like the rules exist to kind of create a, a, a channel through which that is easier, but like in the same way that the art does or the text does. 
I love that. I, I want to get into a discussion real quick about running a GMless game. I think the big thing to know about GMless games is, okay, so they're called GMless, and that's not an incorrect moniker, but the way I oftentimes tell people who are coming from more traditional games into GMless games, the way I encourage you to think about it is that everyone is a GM. The number one issue people have when they play GMless games, like the number one thing people will come back and say to me is they'll be like, it was cool, but it felt very aimless. All of our characters just kind of stood around. And that's because they're thinking of their characters the way a player would rather than how a GM would. Uh, GMless games are most fun and they're most enjoyable where when there's a lull in the conversation, when there's a pause, everyone can kind of be like, oh, what drama do I want to add to this? Right. What do I want to bring to this? Right. Like what how do I want to kind of toss something into the ring? Because when you're a player, you're very when you're a player in in Dungeons and Dragons, you're very reactive to the GM. Right. The, the 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 pattern that Vincent and Megway Baker describe in Apocalypse World is such that like the players talk amongst themselves, the conversation lulls, they look at the GM, the GM makes something happen, the players respond to it, it resolves, they look at the GM, the GM makes something happen, and in Wander Home, you're looking to each other and you're looking to yourself. So I encourage you to think of it much more as like you are all GMing the game for each other rather than you are all players and there is no force that is responding to you, right? There is no, like, like you are all the, the person who you're all the person behind the screen. You all know all the secrets. You're all kind of surprising each other. You're all co GMing this game is maybe a, 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 I think the, the way to look at it that kind of gets you in the mindset most fruitfully. I kind of want to go around with everybody else and just kind of see what you guys are, mostly because you, I've had just you guys sitting here for half an hour. I'd love to hear your, your <laughs> thoughts on this. For Elliot, Abby, Schnook, and Michelle, going into this game, very new game, very different type of thing, what are your biggest questions or worries or, or what excites you most about this game? What are kind of your biggest feelings uh, going into us playing this game for the first time? One of the the instincts I want to fight a bit is because it's such a, a a delightful and like pastoral premise is that I don't want to be afraid to like introduce like some conflict, quote unquote. You know, I feel like they're I'm worried that my instinct will just be like, oh, everything is wonderful and we're just going to like, you know, prance through a field, which like prancing through a field is great. And I'm sure we'll do some of that. But like <laughs> I, I want to be able to remind myself that like oh there's some negativity even in like a world this uh quote-unquote delightful and pastoral and this is you know a world that was had just finished a war uh, they have sealed away a god called the slobbering god i mean th- there was some strife in this world and still maybe is for sure and also like those kind of conflicts can take place in very small moments you know bits of awkwardness you know bits of small miscommunications that can still be you know if you look at them epic in the sense of like a normal day. I am. Um, mm. I almost feel like I have the opposite concern in that I'm worried without a GM that everything's going to get really unhinged really quickly. <laughs> There's no one to tell me like you're pushing past the limits of physics in this world <laughs> that I'm just going to kind of go way too hard, way too big, you know, whatever, and, and worried about with, I mean, in a sense, I guess the group kind of all keep each other in check, but I'm like, what if we're all just like shoot for the moon kind of 
people. You, you really want like. Please some... tell me the issue with that. <laughs> if you're all having fun and shooting for the moon, what on earth has gone wrong? <laughs> cool. I, I think you, you just secretly crave, you know, someone looking over their glasses, asking you when you're about to do something crazy. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? Well, it is the kind of thing I feel like in Dungeons and Dragons, which is the game that I've played the most, that yes, because there are very set rules and very specific mechanics, that there are certain things that like you really need to be told, no, you can't do that, <laughs> even if you've asked to do it. Um, and it's very intriguing and exciting, but also scary to me to have a game where it's like, no, do it. Go for it. <laughs> I think like really there's like in Wander Home, it's the sort of thing where it's like if you're like I fly to the moon, it's like, OK, wonderful. You land upon the moon. Where do we go from here? <laughs> right. Like there's something very like I think that in Dungeons and Dragons, there's this there's this way in which like your actions must be curtailed. And in Wander Home, I think it's much more that like. You're invested in telling something that is truthful to your character and to like your stake in the world. And if that, you know, like if that is heavily metaphorical or abstract, or what, I, I've been playing. I've got a long term game of Wanderhome going with some friends and we've spent the past couple of sessions puttering around in an airship built by like the crow version of Dedulous. And we like are landing on like it's awesome. we're like landing on floating islands and like meeting up with the people there and like that's like it's very wacky and bizarre and like the fact like in a normal game of D, I don't think it would have like happened right because it was just kind of this very impulsive like oh what if we run into this crow here who's got this machine and then let's fly around like it was just very like like it's very impromptu but it's been really interesting and cool to explore even though like it, i think it came out of a very whimsical place right because i think the critical thing is that in wander home it's like cool. Yeah. Now what? Right. And like the answer to, and now what is always going to be interesting if you're, if you're thinking about your characters and what they mean and what, you know, what's your stake in them. I was reading the PDF you, uh, you sent over and I'm like obsessed with it. Like the illustrations are just so beautiful and I love the nature of the world. And I love that it's like about kindness and stuff just cause I'm used to playing like Dungeons and Dragons where it's like, I'm, battling a necromancer and then like call of cthulhu which is like this deeply punishing game so i'm really excited i think i'm nervous about being one uh, a game master in it because i was always the person in the group that we would play like weeks apart like our sessions would be weeks apart and then i would get an instruction and i'm like so what do i do <laughs> like i would always forget <laughs> the mechanics because i would just get really into the character um so i i'm worried about my smooth brain holding everyone back in terms of like not being able to like know what to do and um what I need to be t paying attention to. And then I think my other big concern is like, I am used to playing these games with like people I do sketch comedy with. And so, and we just also ha have a very dark sensibility, the people that I would play the games <laughs> with. Right. And so I am worried that I am going to, and we were always just trying to make each other laugh at the same time. You know what I mean? While being true to our characters and seeing what our interactions could be with each other and with the world. And so I'm worried that I'm going to be a really annoying comedic <laughs> presence. Of just like being like a huge ham and being really uh, tr concentrating on my character as opposed to like 
getting us to a floating island. You know what I mean? Um, and this obnoxious presence. So I'm going to have to, you know, get a feel and a vibe <laughs> and see what's up. Because um, I'm used to just saying insane things and like messing with the other people at the table um, is where a lot of the joy comes for me. So I'm not everyone else is usually just like an actor that is having fun playing it. And then our DM is like the person that understands everything. So we're and likes watching us flail. So I'm worried about having to play with other like really game centric people that are relying on me to (laughs) pick up the pace. (laughs) Michelle, what playbook are you playing? I'm going to be a veteran. Yes, that's wonderful. I think that's a very good playbook for that. I think you'll you'll have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then when we were talking about the game, I was like, this is so wholesome and pure. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think I wander home is I don't know. I'm not interested in telling people how to do things. <laughs> I think there's like this very bizarre and this is no no shade to anyone in this call. I think it is a near universal standpoint of like, am I playing the game right or wrong? Am I doing this right or wrong? And it's so interesting because like games are made to be fun, A, but then B, like you look over at video games and you've got people doing like pacifist Skyrim runs and like building Squid Game and Minecraft. And it's like Games are whatever. <laughs> Games are just like our vehicle for like caring about each other. You know, like that's the that's the cool part. Like what, you know, making people laugh. That's the fun part, right? Like, you know, like if you forget stuff, that's fine. The um in the home game of Wander Home, like if I'm sure if you sat down and wrote out all the lore statements any of us have made at any time, you would get an incoherent timeline. I think I've various at various points implied my characters anywhere from 10 to 40 years old. And it doesn't matter. It just that's not what we're doing together. We're not worried about like, oh, God, can we get all the lore to line up? You'll be great. You'll have a great you'll you'll do great. <laughs> the tagline of this show or the thing I always like try to say to begin and end of a show is if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. And I've talked with different people about like even the concept of this show is kind of goofy as hell. It's like, all right, let's play a game and then talk about how we can have more fun. Mm -hmm. But coming in and just like playing a game, having fun and then like looking back and seeing like, wow, where do we have the most like how do we it's a a weird podcast to ask yourself, like, how do we have more fun? I need more (laughs) of this. And I think that's the goal. I, I, I never would try to make this like too prescriptive of like, hey, you should Oh, you that encounter was incredibly misbalanced. You should have had three cultists instead of one cultist or, you know, whatever. The very concept of this podcast is goofy. And you're absolutely right. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. Like, that's what you should be doing. And this game really opens the world up to be able to do that, which is really exciting. Yeah, too bad I only have fun when I'm killing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good news for the veteran. You can do it once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I did love that reading through all the playbooks and it was like things you can always do. And then it was like, you could stab someone, but then you're done and you're not playing anymore. <laughs> There's, I could I could tell you the game design idea behind it. I also just think it's very funny as hell just to have like a red button on the table. It's like, <laughs> I'm sick of this. I kill him and I'm out of the game. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> like a, like a, like an eject button from a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, I feel like I, I don't know you that well, but I feel like there's a 50 50 chance you push that red button. <laughs> <laughs> Even just as a bit. Yeah, I mean, if it's a good, if it's like 
for my writers out there, if it's a good button on the scene. There's a 50-50 shot. Michelle kills me, I think. <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah, that, if I do kill, it's, pro- it's more 50-50 than it's Chinook. <laughs> yeah, more than that. Maybe 80-20. <laughs> The 80s are over, and you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you, and you got touched by the weird, and it made you wild, and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. And and Chinook, uh, coming to this game, kind of how you feeling? What what, what are your thoughts? I'm... Honestly, really excited. The game seems really cool, fun, and wholesome compared to like what we've played before on the podcast. And I think I'm like lucky enough to have like worked with everyone that we're recording with. So like I kind of know coming in what I'm what I'm getting into to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited to see just like what we create together. That's what uh, you think, Shanuk. <laughs> oh, it's I hope amazing. <laughs> Throw me for a loop. That'd be even crazier. Uh, I, I do, I do tend, uh, I think to be very antagonistic of GMs. I've realized, uh, I yep. just always want Brian to lose. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think maybe tabling that instinct is, is something that I should do for this, this little, this little game. But, uh, overall, I think, uh, it's going to be really goofy and fun. I think the personalities here are like all different and fun in their own ways. And, uh, I think it's gonna be a, a a silly, goofy game, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. <laughs> I want you to truly know you'd be the first person. You, I've never this. I don't think I've ever heard of the sword being being unsheathed before. Oh, no. It's <laughs> got so big. Check off sword, baby. <laughs> that, that sword's been sitting on the mantle for a really long time. So if you're the ones to do it and don't don't cheese it, don't cheese it. Got it, Michelle. If, it, if you don't force it, <laughs> if you're gonna get an achievement. You should do it naturally. Let the narrative guide you, or whatever. <laughs> Truly, cannot wait. I'm also. I I don't know if this is. I just don't know. I think I'm constantly changing what I want to play. I think I've changed it like mm. five times already. Yeah, I wrote up three characters today. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like um. easy to write up characters because you're just like making choices off of a pick list. So. You just like it's kind of like filling out like a like a you quiz <laughs> and you're like, all right, yeah. I'm my boy. My God, it really does. You saying that that is exactly I feel like the itch it scratches of like the other night we were reading through the brand and I were reading through the book and um, 
I was, I was like, I just want to go through every playbook and like make whatever character I'd make with like those options of, yeah, it feels like a, a little personality quiz you take online and then you just get to go do the next one. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is made with, with every character I made, there are like 10 choices or, you know, 12 choices for a lot of the things. And every time it'd say like, choose four. And I'd look at them and there was only four that I would have ever chosen. I was like, why are these other options here? Like, th- these are the only four. And then Abby looks at them and it's like, no, 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 it's these four. It's actually, it's really uh, interesting. Like, a thing that is very hidden about Wanderhelm that I'm very proud of is how much editing went into the lists. We, we wrote Wanderhelm in like two months and then spent around nine months editing. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of that was on the lists. And like, literally, there were multiple editing passes that were just like, this list item doesn't do enough. This list item is like too wordy let's cut it down this list item is in the wrong location let's move it to the back of the list right like so much of that was just like because the list items you know they inform the ones nearby them one like you put too many juicy ones together you lose they blur together you want to kind of have like a rhythm to it that builds up to a punchline and then like for you know there's some pick lists that need to do like five things at once like the 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 inventory one the choosing two items you have that one is like that that thing is like doing like those took so many times to rewrite and like nail down so there's a lot of like a lot of like there's a lot of the fun in Wanderhome does come from just like making interesting choices and then figuring out how to tie those into play is there anything that like just missed the cut on the final version of Wanderhome that you like were still very proud of you're like it just doesn't quite belong I think the only um the only one that I like the only playbook I had a concept for that I I really couldn't put in Wanderhome was uh, a playbook idea, I think I called the the wretch or the waif, which was someone with like a an incurable curse that was slowly killing them. And they were like trying to find a cure, but they couldn't. And then the playbook would end with them dying. Um, And that it was just it was just a little it was too dark. It was way <laughs> too dark that that it was just it was the only thing I think I was like, I wrote out like half the playbook and i looked at it and i was like i don't want this in the game but i like <laughs> it i just don't want it in the game <laughs> i think i think everything else that i i was actually like i think this is fun i think made it made it in one way or the other but that like even in like a sidebar but that that's the one where i was like i, I can't keep this <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that probably like it had to be written so that it could be edited away Exactly. And it's like I, there's a common thing in my writing, like especially my more upbeat stuff where it's like I kind of have to course correct for tone a lot, especially you save bed and breakfast where it's like which is the, our upcoming game. There are a lot of moments between my co-writer and I where we'd look at a mechanic and be like, oh, this is just too sad. It's too <laughs> sad in a pointless like it's fine if it's sad in like an interesting way. But there were some things we wrote where it was like. You succumb to the unbearing burden of time and collapse into parts, and no one helps you. And we were like, "This, this does <laughs> get this out of here." <laughs> I, I also gotta say, I just reread the uh, the Ashcan version of Ethereum's Bed and Breakfast, and I backed it on Indiegogo. Cannot wait for this thing to come out. It looks like so much fun. We're we're um, in editing for that right now, and God doesn't make me so excited for people to have it in their hands. It's gonna be. Uh, for those who don't know, Yuzeba's Bed and Breakfast is a slice of life tabletop game about the crew of a magical bed and breakfast run by a heartless witch who ha- who are like taking care of these like weird guests. And they're also like pretty weird themselves. And it's all these like little episodic hour long adventures that like stack over time so that like 
you know, you play an hour of the game and then you like get stickers that go in the book and unlock later stuff. It's a lot of fun, but that's coming out in 2023. So keep an eye out for that. Truly cannot wait. That was the mid podcast ad break. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't go check out the J release, like a, a game test version. It's absolutely worth reading. It's very, very cool. We've kind of talked about like, what is wander home? We've talked about running guideless games and We've kind of touched on like where everyone is like nervous, excited, uh, what, what the like possible pitfalls are coming and how we can kind of prepare for them. Let's talk about what we're going to be playing, like why we were drawn to it. Abby, do you want, do you want to start us off? What playbook did you end up choosing or are you leaning towards at least right now? And kind of like what was drawing, what was interesting about that playbook to you? So right now, I think I'm going to be playing Shepard and I feel like part of what drew me to it is that there's something deep in me that only ever wants to play like old lady characters and the fact that this is like a you're you've you know lived a long life you have a a herd that like you you have taken care of over a long period of time and all these other things where I was just like this just feels like a natural fit and I love bees so that helped uh that it's like a herd of bumblebees (laughs) where it was just like little things where I was like I feel like this just is me So right now that is what I'm doing. But I was also very intrigued by what I keep calling the rapscallion, but is the ragamuffin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I might save that for another time. We both think that if we ever we have two cats and if we ever get another cat, we're going to call it rapscallion pancake because we think it's a great name. name. (laughs) Excellent. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Chinook, what playbook did you pick? (laughs) Oh, man, this is tough. I. You don't have I to lock like in, but what what do you kind of what what are I'm, you leaning I'm between uh, the firelight and the fool. Re- real quick, just to kind of jump in earlier in a text thread, you said, "Nope, I'm the peddler," and then I think originally you sent two other things that are totally different. So I think you've waffled yeah. between four or yeah, five. Yeah, I've been waffling classes. all day. I've been I've been I texted <laughs> Michelle it something. Nuke. It's been it's been they're all so cool and good and different and fun. It feels like. I feel like I'm leaning towards pool right now at this present hour, but we'll see when we record part two. But I think it'll just be fun to play someone that's kind of just like happy-go-lucky, the world is what it is, and I'm just existing, opposed to like someone that's like, put the firelight, they have a firefly, and I can name it something fun, and that'll be cool. I don't know, man. I love that, I love that one of them is like just a deep reason, and the other one's like, but he's got a firefly. Yeah. <laughs> the firelight they're happy too right yeah they're definitely happy I think that was in their bio everyone's on some degree of just vibing <laughs> the fool is just <laughs> we literally i think for the art for the fool we told the artist uh no thoughts head empty <laughs> <laughs> that's what i dig no thoughts head empty <laughs> samoyed tongue sticking out just having a good time in the field yeah and uh, Michelle, well, what uh, what playbook are you leaning towards? I spoiled it before, but I think I'm going to go veteran. Oh, right. You're going veteran. We um, talked about this. I was like, <laughs> for two reasons. I think the first was like, I like having characters that can kind of just like chill and then deliver one liners. Um, <laughs> and so like there are a few that lent themselves to that. And then I or I guess three reasons. And then the. Second one was that I really like playing 
either characters that are very similar to myself or like really mask characters, like really masculine characters. So I like the <laughs> idea of playing like um, an old man, um, a current old man who's just like seen some shit. Um, <laughs> and then the third one was that I loved that. I love getting into like the lore, the history of whatever world we're living in. I feel like I have a tendency to have characters that are really connected to that um, history or lore just in past campaigns that I've done in other games. And I liked that this character was was involved in the lore inherently. Right. Because they were because they're a veteran of of the war. And so just that's a big opportunity to kind of build out the history and details of whatever like we decide to do with the world and like what they know. And that's a really fun area to explore. So those were my main rationales. I'm excited to see what you do with veteran, especially because um, you were talking about being nervous about contributing to the world, because in this kind of system, it's not just lore that's given to you. You can like make up a lot of the lore as, you know, as much as you want. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think something I'm excited, I don't want to spoil too much, but I like the idea of having like a contemporary like vernacular and character around like references to the war. You know what I mean? Like I, I want it to kind of be like a, a nom thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like always referencing <laughs> nom and then like having it there be a really a lot of different threads to the actual Vietnam War because I have a big history buff um, and seeing how that maps to whatever we come up with in this like gorgeously built world and like what those analogs look like i think will be a fun um mapping and like opportunity for comedy as well love it and elliot what what are you thinking yeah i was similar to chinook i went back and forth and back and forth but i'm i think i'm gonna go with the moth tender and there is there's something about the moth tender art that like right off the bat like just like hit me and i was like oh yeah that me yeah anxious little bat yeah, I got that. Um, just that that art in general. And I know like there's a lot of customization to like come from that. But that art just really like spoke to me. And I love a character that has a thing, you know, and the idea of having like a bag of letters, a bag of packages and like each of them has, you know, a reason to go somewhere else. And like similar to what, Michelle, you were just saying this idea of getting to like use those to do little world building things or like, oh, there's a person over here and. Yeah, I just really and it, and just the idea that there's like this moth tender postal service and getting to kind of explore that and like what that means to it's like a job you're like married to your job kind of character um, mm -hmm. in a fun way. Neither rain nor sleet nor gloom of night shall keep these moths from their sacred flight. <laughs> uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> I say That's that all the time. Yeah, it's um, every day when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Daily affirmations about moth mail delivery. Really stressed about package <laughs> logistics. I mean, really, what else do you need in life? Just moth-based aff affirmations. Exactly. Amazon for moths. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've often been caught as a forever GM, but part of the reason I do the show is because I force other people to be the GM, which means I get to play in a system that is guideless, that is GMless. I also get to make a character. So let me, hey, Brian, what character are you doing? What playbook did you choose? Hey, Brian, what character are you doing? <laughs> I always love a character that's trying to sell stuff. I love it so much. I love it when a character is very financially motivated in some way. And I feel like every time I end up playing a character, I end up 
well, doing my my kind of like southern accent. And <laughs> it is your default. I it is like. it is my default for when I'm playing a character. When I'm DMing, I got a lot of different voices. But when I'm playing a character, this is kind of my default. And I feel like this kind of fast talking guy who's just selling knickknacks and tchotchkes is exactly the kind of person I want to be. So I'm very excited to play the peddler. Nice. <laughs> yes. But I gotta say, I went I went through. I made a, like a vagabond skunk. I made a, a pilgrim ferret. You know, just going through. They're all so much fun. They're also goofy. Um, Jay, do you have a favorite playbook to play or just a favorite one generally? Uh, I love all my children equally. <laughs> the Vagabond <laughs> is my favorite. <laughs> right now, I think Vagabond and Ragamuffin are my two favorites. For the audience, um, Ragamuffin is like a little kid who's just like wandering around. And then the Vagabond is someone who like was a thief or a criminal or a traitor or a murderer, like somewhere far from here. And they're like kind of trying to process all that going on while they're messing around being, you know, like, like they're very like the, like in my head, I always picture uh, the, the, the guy from uh, Tangled, like Flynn Rider kind of dude, like with the, <laughs> the, 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 the wanted posters of his own face on every tree. So it's very vagabond for me, but those are my two favorites. I've been playing a vagabond in my uh, long-term campaign and she like, she doesn't have a shadow cause it was stolen from her by her like former best friend. And she's like, she like is on the run from the remnants of the empire of the floating mountain. And so, but like, she's like grouchy, but also sweet. I, I adore her. She's a mess. <laughs> Jay, as we, as we kind of like approach the end of our conversation here, are there any other tidbits of advice, pitfalls to avoid, any ways that we can set ourselves up for success in this game other than just remembering it's a game. Have fun. Uh, I really recommend um, this is like a thing that I think if you've played a lot of jamless games, you have a good instinct for it. But if you <sighs> haven't, you don't, which is keep an eye on the place natures you choose as part of making the place you arrive at. Those things are pretty invaluable for when you don't know what to do and you want to introduce something from outside, those natures are going to be like a really great place specifically to reach for because they offer prompts from like kind of this abstract GM perspective to offer other players, right? Like if you don't know what to do and you look down and it says like, describe the beautiful fields around or like show problems caused by, you know, like generational divides, that's a really useful grounding tool. And I think in general, when you feel like you don't know what to do or when you feel like you want something to happen, but you don't know what it is, your destiny is in your hands. And I recommend looking at your sheet, looking at the natures, like looking down at what's in front of you is going to offer a gold mine of stuff to pull back up. And I think really kind of like that process is useful for when you need a prompt. Like, cause oftentimes in normal play, we look to the GM for that. And when you don't have that looking down at your paper, we'll give you that. That's, I think, just my only recommendation. You're all killer. You've all played a bunch of games. It's like playing a game, but you don't have to do any math. So I'm sure you all got this because doing the math is, is my worst part of playing D&D. And you'll all kill it. And I'll be on for, I think, the third episode. So I'll get to hear how it went. I'm like... I feel like I'm like uh, I'm like Gordon Ramsay, like stepping away and like letting you give it a, and then, like coming back and being like, all right, now, how did it go? <laughs> I'm excited to hear how it goes and to, to, to find out what what you felt was fun, what you struggled with, what you wished there was more of. Yeah. 
I'm very excited for episode three when we just hear you like throw a tray of food across the screen. <laughs> uh, but you call this a beef Wellington? You call this GM Fiat? <laughs> I've seen more Fiats in the parking lot of an Ikea. I don't know. <laughs> a couple of bits of like small bits of homework for everyone who's going to be playing in the next session. First up, if you've thought of your character, let's make sure you kind of like try to expand your character a little bit. Absolutely nothing is set in stone until it's, you know, set on the podcast. So if you start hearing someone else describe a character, you think, oh, wait, I want to change my whole thing. We can totally do that. The other thing that I want to do uh, for next episode is normally a, a single GM would come up with a bunch of NPCs. In this game, they're called Kith, like Kith and Kin, friends and family. And I think it's probably advisable to have a couple of Kith kind of preloaded that we can draw from. So what I'd like everyone to do, myself included, is uh, use the book and come up with one Kith NPC that we can draw from should we need for our episode. That's a really smart idea. (laughs) More people Um, should do that. (laughs) Feel free to make them crazy, make them loony, make them fun, make them friends with your character, make them enemies to your character, anything you want. And we'll draw from them and, you know, try, try to set up other players to be able to use them against you or for you in any way you want, because I think uh, that'll be a lot of fun. I'll also let you all know, your characters won't truly come alive until you do the questions with each other, uh, the ask one to life and one to life, right? That's the moment when your characters start feeling like a group of buddies and not just like a, an abstract concept. So like, do know that like those, those questions I think will really make everything come alive when it, when it comes time for that. Nice. Anyone have any last minute questions, any last minute worries, things they want to add in uh, before I kind of round us out for an outro? don't want to disappoint Jay. <laughs> <laughs> it would be it would be very hard to disappoint. <laughs> Perhaps impossible. Two seasons ago, we did uh, Honey Heist and Chinook was the, the, the game master. It was his first time ever running a game. He did fantastic. We had uh, Grant Howard on who like taught us the game and then came back for episode three, which is very fun. And I know we, we asked him, oh, is there anything we could have done better? Anything we did wrong? And he kind of paused for a second. And then he said, well, <laughs> One of the first things in the game, it says bears don't talk. And we were talking to absolutely everybody. The whole thing was like us conning our way into a museum or something, or conning our way into a, a honey heist. I didn't know that about honey heist. I've, I've never actually played honey heist, partially as like a little personal running joke against bears. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I didn't actually know that about Honey Heist, and I'm reeling from the knowledge, from the personal knowledge that if I had played Honey Heist, I would have done the exact same thing. And <laughs> Thank you. Grant, if you're listening, it's not my fault. <laughs> Grant, if you're listening, uh, you have so many better games. Why is this the one people like? <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining in. That is it for episode one of my first dungeon, Wander Home. Thank you so much to Michelle, Elliot, Abby, and Chinook for joining me on this very pastoral season. I'm really excited and surprisingly nervous, as I've said, uh, to play this game. So I'm glad I've got some good friends along for the ride. Uh, let's real quick go around and anyone who wants to shout out any projects they're working on, where people can find you online. Uh, yeah, you can find me uh, at Chinook on Instagram or at Fake Chinook on TikTok. And uh, if you're in New York, I'm in the art of killing it uh, at Future Proof in Brooklyn running through August. And uh, there's someone else on the podcast who's also doing it with me. Oh, should I maybe ask Michelle, where can the people find you? 
Uh, I'm on Instagram at Robot Noises. I'm on Twitter at Mishi B, but I don't say anything on Twitter. Um, and I don't produce TikToks because I, I am a coward. Um, but I'm also in the art of killing it at Future Proof for not much longer. So get your tickets. Um, uh, yeah, and I think and I do shows around New York. So keep an eye out on my Instagram for where I'm performing. Uh, Abby, where can people find you? Oh, the people can't find me. I have nothing to promote. <laughs> uh, oh, you can find me on 20 Sided Podcast. A new episode just dropped today. There we go. I found it. Found it. Lovely. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Elliot, uh, where, where can people find you? Uh, what, what have you been working on? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at more blueberries, uh, art stuff there. And then you can find my games at moreblueberries.itch.io. Hell yeah. And if you haven't checked out Something is Wrong with the Chickens from, from Elliot, you can check out our previous season that went through that game. It's extremely fun. You got to play this game. And a huge thank you to Jay for joining us and for guiding us through this process of running a guideless game and just for creating such an amazing game and world for us to play in. We're all very excited. I really can't wait. If you haven't already, please support Jay's games by finding them either at your friendly local gaming store at possumcreekgames.itch.io or by visiting possumcreekgames.com. Uh, I'll post all those links in the show notes below, as well as Jay's blog entries, which I think anyone who's interested in game design or just likes any of the games Jay's designed, check it out. They're uh, invaluable. They're very fun to read. You can also find me on Twitter and TikTok at jdragski or possum underscore creek. You should also check out the Possum Creek Games Patreon, um, which is patreon.com slash possum creek where we post articles in advance and game snippets. I'm sorry it's a little gauche to be advertising my Patreon on another podcast. So I'm like, I'm like, well, while I'm here, I might as well plug it. It's a, it's a cool spot. I just released an upcoming hint of a project I've been working on, like a first look of something called the Seven Part Pact, where you, it's like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell style. You are a council of wizards uh, in England, trying like trying to hold the world together. It's a lot of uh, fun, and it's very different from Wanderhelm, but it's a lot of fun. Very cool. And I know, uh, best of luck to Wanderhelm, who I know the book is nominated for three Annie Awards, which uh, I believe it's best cover art, best interior art, and best uh, family game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hopefully by the time this posts, it'll be any award-winning Wander Home. We have been nominated for so many awards. We're the finalist in so many things. Like the net, like okay, this feels like absolutely like like you know like complaining about riches, but the <laughs> Nebula <laughs> finalist. I'm like ah rats. <laughs> I mean, it, it's gotta come to. It's gotta come to right here. Um, so so really, best of luck. I, I'm rooting for for Wander Home in every single category. Thank you so much for everyone for listening. Join us next time as we begin our guideless journey through the land of Haith. But for now, remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. 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 If you're hearing this, that means you have listened to every last second of this episode. And that probably makes you a fan of this show. Well, if you're a fan and you like what we're doing and want to help others find it as well, then consider leaving us a five-star review over on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Getting more ratings really does help more people find the show, and reading your nice words about the things that we put out into the world makes us feel all warm and good inside, and we want more of those good, good feels. 
So head on over to your podcast player of choice and leave us a five-star review. Thanks.